0: This is episode number 18 with our guest, Eric Reed. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us and tuning in. Welcome to the studio. It's the Hidden Entrepreneur Show, and it's your host, Josh Carey. What do you think of when you hear the word leader? Do you consider yourself a leader? How about an effective leader? Well, you know, whether you're running your own business as an entrepreneur or working with your family to create a positive and productive environment, you need to lead. Our guest today has created his own success coaching system, and he works with clients all across the land to help them lead better and be better. He's also a leadership development coach with the John Maxwell team. Who doesn't love John Maxwell? Help me welcome to the show right there. It's Eric Reed. What's going on, Eric?
1: Hey, thank you. I love that. I felt like I was supposed to come out from the red curp- cart, uh, curtain or something there.
0: I, 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 I love that visual too. We can uh, go down that path. So I said that you were a, um, you're a leadership development coach with the John Maxwell team. I know, you know John Maxwell's books. He literally wrote the books on leadership, right? What is your involvement and participation there?
1: Thank you. Um, Yeah. So John Maxwell, for anybody that doesn't know, is recognized as the leader's leader by Forbes magazine, Inc. Entrepreneur. He is the leadership guru. Um, He's 77 years old. He's written 80 some books on the topic. I think we can fairly give him that credit. Um, And so what he teaches is the principle of leadership and the steps of becoming a leader and all of that. And I have been honored to have him as my coach and my mentor and to be certified by him to be one of his leader coaches. And so for me, leadership is, you know, starts with self then goes to others, from me to we kind of thing. And John has been able to coach and train and develop me to becoming a better leader so that I can go out and do that for others as well.
0: Let's let's dig into that word lead and leader and leadership? Because I know personally for, for decades when I was cowering in the corner, stuck behind fear, uh, the last thing I felt like I could do is lead. How how do we overcome that even generally speaking?
1: Well, and a lot of that is, is perception is we think of leaders as having to be pinnacle people like you know cameras always on paparazzi jumping out of the, the bushes to get them whereas leadership begins with self and when you take ownership of self ownership of life ownership responsibility for the direction you want to go and you begin to lead yourself in that direction empower yourself and encourage yourself and 15 laws of growth kind of thing. If you understand that first when I begin to lead myself effectively in the direction that I want to go, people will naturally follow that. We've seen it in organizations where it's not the boss that gets all the respect. It's sometimes the secretary at the front desk. Because she is so grounded in her self-leadership, people automatically respect and want to follow and be influenced by her. Leadership is really that, being able to influence people into a higher place.
0: And is it true, like I said, it's not just in the workplace, the way you just defined it. Me, as a family man, as a husband, as a father, certainly I'm, whether successfully or not, I'm exhibiting a a, a leadership position, yes? Very much. And if you could see my
1: office, I have a quote on the other side of the wall that says, Leadership begins here, and it's an arrow pointing down. And it reminds me that leadership begins right here, like in my house, at my dinner table, between me and my spouse, with my family. Because if I can't do this, then I have no business doing it anywhere else, you know? And, and the hardest job, and you know it true, as, as a dad is to be able to lead yourself into being an effective and positive dad, but also to lead your kids um, sometimes.
0: Yeah, I I would like to know that secret. <laughs> Call me when you get it. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. It's like all trial and error. Like I'll, uh, I'll always try to, you know, um, maybe guide my daughter if she's doing something, five-year-old daughter, if she's doing something I don't really want her to be doing. And I say, Danica, if you continue to do that, you're not going to go to camp tomorrow. And she says, well, I don't want to go to camp tomorrow. And now I'm back at square one.
1: Well, and see, I, I would jump into our coaching moment. That's management because you're trying to manage a behavior. What I would say is modeling and influencing like, well, if we didn't do that, what do you think would happen? Or how could we do what you're doing in a way that doesn't impact people or the house or the, negative, or the furniture negatively? You have to lead them into a level of awareness that they are part of something bigger, even if it's their own something bigger. Like, you know, a I told you that if we color on the walls, I'm gonna to have to spend all day tomorrow painting it, and you had asked me to do this with you tomorrow. So are your actions in alignment with what you wanna have happen in your life? Mm. Now, I know that sounds really big and complicated for a five-year-old, but I'm trying to teach my nine and eight-year-old, you are responsible for everything that comes into your life through your actions now granted you're a five an eight and a seven year old or eight and nine year old but you realize the fact that what you did now costs something and are you prepared to pay it versus sometimes parenting we go into this management role trying to manage the behavior manage the voice manage that and i see that in companies where they try and manage the individual And as a parent, we want to raise up children that we would want to hang out with at a dinner party when they're 20s and 30s and 40s. And to do that, we've got to guide them in a direction that they're going to become the kind of people that we would want to hang out with when they're in their 30s and 40s. If we focus on managing them, then we're going to have to be in that manageable relationship with them when they're 18, 21, and 30. And I don't want to manage my kid's life when they're 30. Mm.
0: I want to keep going down this path because it's so relevant and uh, so enlightening to every facet of life I see. So if Danica... Five years old is jumping on the couch, and I clearly don't want that happening for a variety of reasons. It's not good for the couch, it's certainly not good for her, it's not a good action. So instead of saying, Hey, uh, if you keep that up, I'm gonna take away your toys, or you're not gonna get this, you're not gonna do that, that's management. You're saying,
1: Right, you're not gonna get the promotion, you're not gonna get the bonus check, you're not gonna get the time off that you need. All of those punishments takeaways don't require me to take responsibility because when it's over, I can go like, I got the worst boss in the world. Every time I come into the office, he's taking away my pay. He's taking away my time off. He's not buying the donuts like he promised. And you end up in this confrontational adversary relationship with employees, team members, family members, and Danica, because she's like, I don't, and I know you've heard it because I've heard it. I don't like you. Or you're being a mean dad. And I'm like, look, I don't care about being a mean dad. I don't care about being liked. Because if this is about being liked, I flunked that like the first 10 minutes after you came into my life. This is about me leading you, influence. And remember the influence word. This is about me influencing you to make better decisions, more responsible decisions. Now, granted, five-year-old age-appropriate. But when I'm in a leadership role in a company or in a team or in an organization, or even if I'm developing my own business and I'm a solopreneur, I'm still influencing my clients or potential customers on behaviors and reciprocity. And so I need to influence them because if I try and manage my employees or manage my clients, I'm always in this downward pushing motion of holding the status quo and it's
0: not going to grow genius. So many levels. I love how you connected it right to the office environment. So as an example, I now clearly see the management style. So now if Danica is jumping on the couch, I clearly don't want that happening. So now I have to put it in such a way that shows her, is it about a benefit to her or something that now I'm going to have to do that could affect her?
1: you could so and again this is a really small example because it's a five-year-old but i would say danica why are you jumping on the couch and she's gonna say because it's fun or my hair bounces and i like that great i understand what you want because i'm never going to take away what you so for you bouncing on the couch is fun yes well could we find a different place a different way of having that much fun without being disrespectful to the rules of the house to our core values. And this is a big thing I work with families a lot on is, does your family have core values? And you're gonna say, oh yeah, of course we would. I'm like, show them. And they're like, what do you mean show them? I'm like, where are they written down? Because when I go to the community pool, there's a list of 15 values or rules that we live by before we go into the community pool. Where is your family's core values written down? So Danica, one of the values that we have in this house is that we respect things or we respect people. So Danica, I understand that you're having fun bouncing on the couch and I love to hear you laugh and it makes me happy as a dad to see your joy, but is that in alignment with our family value? Well, no, because it's not respecting things. How can we bring that fun into an alignment with our values? And then the same thing in the company. If a value is treating employees or treating clients or treating customers as number one, how is the behavior that I'm seeing displayed reflective of that company core value? And how can we bring that behavior, that culture more in alignment with that company core value?
0: Incredible. Thank you for (laughs) all of that detail. Um, So So you're going home and
1: writing down core values, aren't you? (laughs)
0: Honey, we have a little thing to write down tonight. Uh, So you're a success coach. Clearly, a few minutes into this discussion, a phenomenal one. Who can't tell that? Um, So if you were to ask anybody, do you want to be successful on paper? Of course, they're going to say, well, yes, yes, I do. I spend every minute of every day going for that and wondering why I don't feel that way, or it's not happening. So everybody wants their version of success. What is stopping us? So the
1: answer was in your question. You said everybody is going towards that or seeking it. And you made it an outward, distant, future event. And the expression of what it was, whereas what I believe and what I try and encourage people is, that the success is in the now, being able to connect with Danica in the middle of bouncing up and down on the couch, and bring that core value, bring that lesson, bring that moment into being, and utilize it fully—that's success. And when we pile up a series of those kind of moments, we live a life of success. Instead of believing that as soon as we get the biggest trophy, the most sales, the you know cover of a magazine, we're now in success. Well, I've worked with people who have devoted an entire energy of life and finances and resources to getting a Grammy or an Emmy or a big award. And then they're like, now what? Because everything else was forfeited. They skipped those Danica moments on the couch in pursuit of something bigger that they thought was far off and in the distance. And now they're trying to recover and go back to those kind of things. So. When I think of success, when I speak of success, and when I coach and train people, it's like, yes, we have a big goal, we have a big vision, we have a mission and a purpose and a passion. But if we can't be in it each and every moment of the day or attempting to, then we're living out of harmony with what success really means.
0: Such a great line that you said success is in the now. And only recently have I, really began to understand what that means living in the now are you familiar with the author Eckhart Tolle
1: he's over on my bookshelf behind us somewhere
0: (laughs) absolutely um I I I I completely devoured a new earth I'm Uh. also now going to begin very soon the power of now and it's all that it's this is the only truly literally the only moment we have is now. And I like how you separated it, that success is in the now and everything else is not a future attainment, but those are goals that you can work towards. That's the difference, right? Yes. And so Eckhart Tolle,
1: for those that aren't familiar, is a, is a
0: wonderful thought leader, a brilliant man that
1: speaks a lot about becoming consciously aware of our current placements. And so for somebody that might be like, how did I turn into this California hippie pot smoking show? What I want you to understand about the power of now and the understanding of now is even in the expression of now, the next is being altered. And then that out altered and altered and altered. So when we become so focused on next Tuesday, I'm going to do this. The events between now and next Tuesday are going to so dramatically out Um, They're going to alter the, the Tuesday that you're seeing in your mind that it won't even exist. And so we end up in this exhausted energy cycle of chasing something that for a fixed moment exists, and we try to hold time in that place. And that's why I sometimes get discouraged when people say, my goal for 2020 is this. And I'm like, how can you hold time January 1st, 2020 in such an absolute rock solid place, but yet?" Everything around you shows that it's growth and change and alteration. Now, it's okay to say by 2020, I'm going to achieve this, and then walk backwards and say between now and then, I'm going to invest, I'm going to grow, I'm going to develop, I'm going to be present in every moment between here and there that is in alignment with what I want 2020 to look like. And I'm not going to become distracted by the things that aren't in alignment.
0: I got to see how you as an individual got to this point. <laughs> Incredible mind. Take us back to the beginning, if you will, the Eric Reed as a young child growing up, what was that home life like? Uh, um,
1: first I have to preface the story with great respect for my stepdad, love him, honor him, and cherish him. Um, he came from a broken situation and That was the tool set that he came into being a dad. And so his story was that he grew up during World War II. His family had returned to Germany to take care of a grandparent, got trapped in the war behind the wall in Nazi Germany. His father was shipped off to go fight the war. He was a 10-year-old kid, left on the family farm. Bombs and armies walking through his backyard every day. You can picture not a lot of fathering skills developed during that period. So when it came time for him to parent me, his process was discipline, discipline, perfection, perfection. Everything that he grew up in a German Lutheran mechanical engineer brain, that everything had to be perfect and on time and in line. And I have a issue. It's called auditory processing disorder. I struggle with spelling in words. I'm a visual, not, you know, sometimes. And so I couldn't spell. I remember vividly, like, throwing up crime tears. You know, when you've cried so much, you can only puke after that because everything else is worn out. My mother and dad drilling me on the difference between which, which is which. The witch on a broom versus which choice are you gonna make? And every time I thought I had it, they would be like, are you sure? And I would switch it. And then they'd be, are you sure? I would switch it. Or I would write a, a composition for the, you know, you have to write a report. And my mother would write at the top or my dad would write at the top, 22. And that meant there were 22 grammatical errors in it or 22 spelling errors. And I'd have to go up to my room and find them. And then I'd come down and it might go down to 15 and up to 30 and down to 12. And it, so I, for me, I shut down. I, I was never going to be able to write. I was never going to be able to speak. I was never going to be able to get a job application because I couldn't even spell my own middle name sometimes. And so I began to really believe what, other people that I respected and loved set the bar at. They said, this is all you're gonna do, this is all you're gonna see, this is all you're entitled to because of your inability to separate which which from which. And please don't get me started on there. Or two, those, like, (laughs) those, like, anybody that knows me knows that I just freak out over it. Well, at some point, I had a choice. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna live to the label applied, I'm going to figure out who these people are that made the label and decide if they had the right to. And the more I discovered about the label makers, my mother and her story and my dad's stepdad and his story, I realized that, man, these people are broken. And they came to this relationship with me with the only thing that they had and what they had wasn't exactly good or right. It was a survival skill for them and they were doing it out of love. I was able to be like, wait a minute, I'm running around believing other broken people's stories about me being broken. Maybe I just need to let them be broken in their brokenness and let me be me. And so it wasn't a one moment kind of thing, but it was a starting to realize that we all have stories that are unseen. We all have a history, and especially as parents, I think we sometimes only put part of ourselves out there for our kids. And yet there's a whole life that happened before my dad became my dad. There was a whole life that happened to my mom before she became my mom. And when she came into the relationship with me as her son and him as my father, they weren't perfect human beings. They were still evolving and developing and becoming who they were. And in the process, they had to do it with me hanging on. And so today, my stepdad and I, we're cool, we're fine. He wrote me a huge letter several years ago that I cherished because it was basically an apology saying, hey, I may not have done a great job, here's my story. And as soon as I was willing to listen to his story, I was like, man, you're forgiven. Grace, boom, dropped on you.
0: Where is your birth dad?
1: Um, <laughs> well, we're still trying to figure that out. No. <laughs> That's a family joke. Um, my, my biological dad, left the family when I was about six or seven, kind of hung around the edges, did the weekend kind of thing now and then. But by the age of eight or nine, he was full-time gone and he passed away several years ago. Again, a broken person. Now that I'm older and wiser, I can see that because his father left him when his father died when he was about eight or nine, he thought that was the pattern. But I think the bigger lesson when I coach and counsel people is that they... Take so much of other people's story at face value. And if we slow down and look at it, I'm sure between you, you probably look at people and like, man, now that I'm older, I can see who they really are. And I can see why they say things like that. My dad, my stepdad, in all love, man, he used to say some pretty harsh things. I mean, the nickname was, I was dumber than whale poop. I forgot, there's a five-year-old in the room. I'm dumber than whale poop. Um, which meant that I couldn't even get off the bottom of the ocean. I was like that dumb. And I realized he was trying to do it as a motivational, like a kick your butt, get up and get going, kind of hustle Johnny coach kind of thing. But the way I processed it was like, well, if I'm shit, then I might as well just stay down here and not try. And so now that I understand that where he grew up, he's growing up in Nazi Germany, (laughs) not a really cuddly warm place. And he had to survive and he left. Nazi Germany when he was 14, on his own, on a boat, to go live with distant family members that charged him rent the day he showed up. He was preparing me for a life like that. And so uh, he did the best he could.
0: How old were you when you started to have those thoughts? And I know that it's a process, but how old were you when you saw a glimmer of light that you know, this might not be me. This might just be their perception. And let me see where this path leads. Um, I could sort
1: of tag it along a couple different adventures. Like uh, at one point, I just literally sold out all the stuff that I had, put it all in a backpack and headed to Australia and did a walkabout, as they say. And I'm standing, walking down a highway in the middle of nowhere, which is pretty much 90% of Australia. Uh, nothing I meant, um, and this huge thunder rail, rolling cloud comes at me. I'm like, I am helpless in this moment. But I was completely alone and dependent on myself to solve the problem. And it was it was kind of fun to be like, you know what? I, I'm me. And if I survive this thunderstorm on my own, with my own, wait a minute. And then pretty soon it was that evolving of going through different trials on my own and i think i was lucky i had the luxury of doing it in isolation in the sense of being in australia getting a job finding a place to sleep walking hij- hitchhiking you know for a year and a half and meeting people that didn't know me in the context of which which is which i started to be able to say like wait a minute you're an okay person and then i wanted to figure out who that okay person really was and as soon as i st- detached from the other labels of son, brother, nephew, whatever. And like, okay, who am I? Which, um, if you understand the Moses code, the expression of I am. And I started to say things like, I am this. No, wait a minute. I am this. And I started to give myself new names, new labels, new identities. And so it's been a lifelong process, but I can see it there. I can see it. When I went off to college, and I, there were a lot of struggles that I had to count on only me. And I stood towards them.
0: What is the Moses
1: code? Ah, that could be another two-hour talk. But so when, when Moses, and not to take anybody down a faith journey, but for example, when Moses said, who are you? He said, I am. And it was the only really name that he, he the divine, the God, gave himself was I am. And then you look at all other religions and faiths and it follows the same path. When I call into myself and I say, I am stupid, the first part is I am. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. If I believe that divine, perfect, spiritual lives within me, I just call divine, perfect, spiritual within me, that is stupid. Not sure I'm gonna be in that position. So anytime I hear somebody say, oh, I'm stupid, I'm like, Whoo, you know who you're calling out? You just called the name of. In the South, we use this expression. Ooh, they just called you out. So the I am is a bigger teaching. But when I say I am, I'm aligning with the divine, the perfect, the unconnected to humanity part of me. And so I am perfect. I am whole. I am complete. I am empowered. I am unique. I am invisible or invincible. All of those qualities that I want to own. Are already existing in me because they exist in the universe because they exist in the perfect.
0: Hmm. Perfect. So, <laughs> did you once you graduated high school? I guess you you must have struggled your way physically, uh, emotionally, mentally through high school. What was your college journey like? Did you? Get- <laughs> you go? Well, the first year was all about drinking. <laughs> where'd you go? I went to the
1: University of Minnesota. Um, It's funny, just recently I connected with a dorm mate from back in the day. So that's 30 plus years ago. He's like, you survived? I was like, yes. (laughs) And then as he got to read my profile, he's like, and you turned out to be that person from what I knew? Um, So the first year was just a complete wash. Um, Then I had to go home and admit that I was on academic probation and that all my money was being suspended until I could prove myself. And my parents were quite gracious. They said, good, we'll give you a room in the basement, work four jobs, earn enough money, and go back in the fall or start paying us rent. Um, So the second year was much better because at that point it was like, I am not working four jobs ever again in my life. And I recommitted. Um, I will say that academically, it was always tough during my undergrad because I was still attached to, I wanted to go into child psychology. My mom said, you'll never make any money go get this. And so I was still, you know, 20 something years old. I'm still willing to bend um, to other people's will. And then I stepped out, went into career life, went back and got my master's. But I think what I've learned is I was connecting to things that other people were passionate about for me. And it was being out of that alignment that caused so much educational disharmony. Because today I read, A book a week, 200 page book a week, because it's something I'm passionate, I'm hungry, I'm tearing open and can't wait to get through. In college, it would have taken me a year to read that.
0: So you have, as you said, an auditory processing disorder. uh, And now I heard in passing, you said you got a master's?
1: (laughs) I I did. And it was um, in an area and a topic that I absolutely love um, because. When I left with my undergraduate, it was in biochemistry, not my passion, not my purpose. Never utilized it, um, (laughs) which is really kind of sad, but I went out and I worked in career world. And then I was like, man, I really want to go back to helping kids. I want to go back to helping families. I want to be involved in transforming people and lives. And I just feel that's where I belong. So I went back and I did uh, family counseling, alcohol and chemical dependency, that type of track. So and then I came out and went to work in foster care systems and services and supports for 20 plus years in and around and above and between all of that.
0: What were you telling me before we went on the air about something that we apparently all have, something called an undiagnosed disability?
1: Ah, Well, I think in this age of labels, Kid walks in and they either got a peanut allergy, and ADD, or autism on the spectrum scale from zero to 5,000, and not to discredit any of those, but none of us are perfect. And none of us, we can't be great in all areas. And sometimes we'll take on, a, we'll have a physical disability. My daughter is disabled. Um, her disability appears obvious, though I think a lot of people overscale it. But for instance, I lived with a disability because of what my parents had said I was only able to live to, that I was only going to reach level two because of my spelling, my reading and my writing and my, all of that, that I was never going to get beyond that point. So therefore you are challenged or disabled or not able, disabled, not able to achieve in this area. And so I, I believe that and I bought into that and I accepted that as my limit. Like you, I wanted to go to law school. You can't read. How are you going to ever go to law school? You're disabled in that area of reading, so therefore you're not able to accomplish this. And so I think sometimes we, when I say undiagnosed, until we start to figure out what's holding us back, breaking our dreams, not letting us step into our fullness, we're disabled. And whether that disability comes from something somebody said or a belief system, and there's a discussion between truths and beliefs, that what my father said about my ability to learn I accept it as a truth, an absolute, a non-questionable decision. What I realized was, no, wait, that's his belief. And I can borrow it or reject it, just like the lawnmower from the neighbor. And so his belief does not need to be my truth. And that is where breaking that disability cycle comes from, breaking free of that belief system that other people have labeled us that has Disabled us from achieving our goals.
0: How do you find yourself parenting today <laughs> with the history that you were parented? Oh,
1: I'm a horrible dad. I'm just going to put that out there. So anybody that's like tuning in, going like, "Oh, look, super daddy, nan, uh, <laughs> nanny, Ma- dad," I- I'm a horrible dad. Um, I <laughs> what I do now know. From my own experience is I will my son I will turn to him and go did I tell you today and he'll say not enough and that's our cue for I love you um I will sometimes get in a pattern of being rushed and over scheduled and all of that that I will sometimes step over my children so to speak like oh they'll forgive me tomorrow I'm doing this for them so I'll put five rubber bands on my wrist knowing that I've got to move them to the other side. And to move them, I have to take a moment and be present with my son or with my daughter or say something kind or be encouraging or be uplifting. I have to be intentional. I have to be focused in on being present as a dad, which doesn't make me a perfect dad. It just makes me more aware of the role that I have in this relationship with him and the impact it's going to have generationally. And so to say, I'm like walk in and it's like, yeah, I'm super dead. I inc- no, I screw up. I fall apart. I, fall. I sat the other day. I was like, man, I so screwed up that moment. When they get off the bus, I got a job. to do. And I got out my day timer and I marked down what time they're going to get off the bus. And I said, as soon as they get off the bus, you got to make this conversation happen. And I apologized and I admitted my broke and I admitted my mistake and I explained where it came from and I let it go with that. So because my dad was my, my stepdad was so focused on perfection. He wouldn't have had that kind of moment for me because that would have meant he failed. He flawed. He must whatever. I'm okay. Being a bad dad. I'm I'm just doing what I got. Hmm.
0: You have seven certifications as I've seen one of them being as an NLP practitioner. I'm fascinated by that. Tell us all about NLP, please. What is it?
1: So NLP is really the language of language or understanding how words and thoughts connect. And so when I say I'm an NLP practitioner, because I do so much coaching, people use words without awareness. But yet the programming or the coding that goes in with that wording, whether they receive it or send it, is very huge. And so NLP is used a lot in marketing and a lot in, you know, advertising because it causes your brain to behave in a particular manner. For instance, if you see a price tag of 500, your mind is stuck on what's left and largest. But if you see 497, your brain is stuck on the 7 because that's a real value as 7 has a value and so long story, but in marketing they use it all the time. When I use it in coaching, I will often hear somebody say something and I'll be like, wait, what you said, the way you said it, the words you used have value. I need to tear that open and have you analyze the words because words aren't just words. Words are experiences and feelings and beliefs and truths. And if we choose words we don't choose them randomly though they come to us because our brains are so massively computered gener- like but it's linked um one of my favorite poets is maya angelo and she talks about be careful with the words you choose because they get like smoke on the walls and in your clothes and in the furniture and long after the person that said them is left you can still smell it in the air and she does this beautiful poem and i always think about Words and and language and the programming of the mind through those words.
0: What mantra do you live by today?
1: Um, I have a couple that I rotate through and depending on it, um, one of them often is just here, just now. Um, Like I need to get just here, just now. Like, dude, you are so in so many places, you're not even here. And you're so far in the past and in the present or the future, you're not here. So just here, just now is sort of a mantra. Um, imagine the possibilities is always one. And it's been mine since I started working with you, because that forces us to see past the current situation and into the possibilities. And... Um, And then I am. I am is probably, those are like my three go-tos during the course of the day. When I feel disconnected or when I feel angry or disappointed or frustrated, I know that feeling and then I have to, I am like, I am greater than this moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love the, the just here, just now. It really... It is all about the present moment. No matter what you really believe, the facts of the matter are we only have the moment of now, not the past, not the future. Our lives unfold in the now. And
1: it's so funny because we have to break this idea that we're all sitting in the same movie theater watching the same movie. Your past is not my past, even though we. We're like standing side by side and you know, we've watched the same event occur. Your past is not my past. Your perception of the past or the event is colored by everything that happened to you before that moment as as well as mine. My future, even if we walk down the exact same sidewalk in the same rhythm, in the same beat, the way we're gonna experience the future is completely different for a variety of reasons. And so when we get so like, I gotta go to the past, I gotta go to the future, I gotta go, it's like, man, I only got just here, just now. Just like, just, just get here. Just get here and do this thing good, and that other step will figure itself out. And so just here, just now, plus I can spell all the words.
0: <laughs> That's a win. Uh, it's so, It's so phenomenal to hear about we're not all watching the same movie or sitting in the same movie theater, even if we did experience the exact same event, because to piggyback on what you said all this is is about the individual meaning we ourselves and ourselves alone place on everything
1: and that's where that word grace comes in and so when i was able to look at my stepdad and look at my mom and look at my dad and understand that their experiences created who they were and how they entered the movie theater so to speak I was like, oh, okay, they didn't come in the same door I did. They didn't come in here with the same expectations that I did. Okay, you know what? If I'm allowed to screw up and make mistakes and ask for forgiveness, I'll give them a little of it
0: too. To say you've come a long way is an understatement. Looking back, Eric, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, God.
1: Number one, there is no permanent record. I was threatened with that all my life, and I'm sure you were. That's gonna go on your record. (laughs) So one, there is no permanent record, and if you screw up, who cares? At least you were doing something.
0: Wow, that's phenomenal. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason?
1: I do, but I have to, when I teach on that, it doesn't happen to me, it happens through me. And what I mean by that is I called it towards me because I needed the lesson, the teaching, or I was prepared to move into it. When everything happens to a reason, I think sometimes people use that as a way of not taking responsibility. Like, oh, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'm like, no, the car ran out of gas because you neglected to put fuel in the tank. Don't tell me it happened for a reason. It happened because you didn't take responsibility and you called that into your own life. And so when I say it happens for a reason, I think it happened a good friend of mine, Becky, talks about divine appointments. And that we fill our calendar with so many appointments, but we forget to leave room for the divine appointments, the ones that are now due us from the universe. So the everything happens for a reason, yes, but only when I'm open to receiving it. What I've been clear on calling it into
0: speaking of the divine, are you spiritual or religious in any ways today?
1: Um, yes, and I have to I feel like I was give you a yes but um, I live in the south <laughs> when people talk about religion and spirituality, it has a steeple and a cross on top and a set of rules and regulations um, that I sometimes get uncomfortable with because I've traveled so much and I have learned and studied with so many people, I accept that there is a great divine and that I am connected to and part of and part through and that we all are and that my journey is a gift from the great divine, whether you call it God or something else. Um, And so when I see the series of light events through my life, I'm like, ah, I see it. Okay, thank you for that lesson. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you. I get to experience, I, I forgot where I saw it first, but the idea that if we were spiritual, be what is it? We're spiritual beings having a human experience, not humans having a spiritual experience. If I was trapped in only spirit, could I ever touch a tree? Could I ever feel the warmth of the sun? All of those things are neglected to the spirit because it can't by spiritness. Could you ever know the hug of Danica without first becoming human and then discovering the joy of that? And so that is where I leave my life in spirit.
0: What a beautiful callback to Danica. Thank you. Felt good to hear. Uh, Seriously. um, on, On that note, what do you believe happens when it's all over?
1: Is it all over?
0: Tell me. I mean, our journey here on earth, what happens?
1: I, so I believe that this is only part of the journey, just like changing from winter to spring clothing. I believe that when this part of this journey, the physical human experience is over, that there's another level of learning, another level of growing, another level of experience, whether that means heaven, or that means a reincarnation, or that means an evolution. I can't go there because I haven't finished just here, just now. And so when I get to that, then I'll figure out what I'm supposed to know, do, and be there.
0: Any fear around that? No. Because
1: I I can't believe because of my personal belief in a divine and perfect and loving that there would ever be, so God is a leader, whatever you want to label him. So he doesn't micromanage. He doesn't punish and control and push down like we talked about earlier. He leads us to our greatness and our bigness and our fullness. So why would the journey suddenly take a U-turn and say, well, you know, I led you all this way to becoming a better, bigger person. Now I'm going to cut you off from that experience. Hmm.
0: I will leave you with this final question. Eric Drum roll. Reed, Yes, <laughs> Eric Reed. How would you sir like to be remembered? Hmm. How?
1: Uh, like Today or I you know that's a hard question because I don't I'm not worried about it. Because I, I would rather be remembered the moment that just passed versus a lifetime. So I'm not really worried about how I'm gonna be remembered because that would be some future ego centric goal achieving kind of thing. Then I'm not really it's it's not where I need to be.
0: Wow, that's a, a very, very um, honest, perfectly authentic answer. I appreciate that answer. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. I um this this conversation achieved everything and a ton more than I really could have hoped for. I feel like we have six or eight more episodes, uh, just, just, just hanging on the, uh, low hanging fruit here. If, if people want to get in touch with you and experience more of you, cause clearly there's a lot <laughs> of amazing to you, Eric, how should they best get in touch? I, the easiest way is just Eric G Reed, E R I C G R E I D.
1: Um, uh dot com is my website or find me on facebook i do something similar every fr- every morning at 8 a.m eastern just a thought moment um so join me find me but EricGReed.com is the easiest way um from there we'll connect
0: mm. so as you see leading begins within and um this is uh, this has been magnificent i can't wait to go back and hear all of this Incredible dialogue again. Thank you, Eric, for spending your time. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for
1: inviting me to be a guest. Um, I I can't wait. I I can see you going home tonight and seeing Danica in a whole new different way.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. And as a uh, respectful shout out, my little boy, Harrison, who is three. Love Ah, that.
1: Yes. So I'm going to just warn you. Last minute parenting thing. Sure. Boys and girls are not the same boys are easier because they just do it girls they plan and plot so get ready <laughs> harrison harrison will run into a wall and be over it danica you got to have you got to be you got to be on your game with little girls let me tell you
0: mm on my game I shall be and I hope everybody listening is on their game as well thank you for spending your time with us today it's been marvelous as they say until we do it again another episode is right around the corner until that time everybody go get them